As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we talked with Garrett Diamond, founder of Sifter. He talks all about the silly excuses that people make to not start their own company and the insane benefits that come down the line when you're running your own business. Garrett goes on to tell the story of his several month surgery recovery and the realizations it helped him make about running his own product. Hey guys, I wanted to take a minute to thank Codeship for sponsoring the show. Codeship makes continuous deployment simple and easy, and we've actually been happy customers of theirs for a very long time. 
you should go to codeship.io slash rocketship to check out videos and tutorials all about how you can start using Codeship to deploy your product in a better way. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. It made collaborating with our entire team incredibly easy, and the annotation tool alone saved us hours of back and forth. Go to envisionapp.com forward slash rocketship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. This comes complete with unlimited screens and unlimited collaborators. Trust me, this is an essential tool for teams of all sizes. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Garrett Diamond, the founder of Sifter. Garrett, welcome. Thanks. So for those that don't know, give us a quick overview of Sifter. Sifter is just really, really simple issue tracking. There's such a wide variety of bug and issue tracking tools out there that are just awesomely powerful. And they're great for teams that are building really, really huge, complex stuff. But they're kind of overkill for teams that are building smaller or, um, you know, just non really complex things. And we were doing that. I pretty much did that my whole career and we never could find an issue tracker that was basic enough. They all had too much, you know, it was kind of a, a Goldilocks. This is, this is too hot. This is too cold. This one's just right. And decided, uh, at some point to just go ahead and build something simple like that, because if we need it, then surely there's other small, medium sized teams out there that could use it. And that's kind of the, the breakdown. Yeah, we actually use Jira in here, and we had to find some custom Jira code in order to close a ticket. Yeah, it was yep. amazingly complicated. Sounds about right. Yeah, you know, Jira I think is one of those things where it's it's great for maybe NASA and Microsoft or <laughs> you know that kind of thing. But I I have so many random uh, one line Twitter jabs that people tweet about jira and i favorite them on twitter and you know i almost feel like i could start a blog with all these things that people say because you know it's powerful but the consequence of that power is a lot of confusion configuration that sort of thing so that's kind of what we're out to offer something that for people that don't need that have you seen what less accounting does with the quickbooks twitter stream i haven't no i can only imagine though they, we'll put the URL in the show notes, but they uh, they basically set up a page where they, I think it's just a search for QuickBooks on Twitter and it streams in. They don't even have to search for hate QuickBooks. Most of the tweets that come in are like, QuickBooks is terrible. I hate it. Well, it's, those guys are so great. Their website, like on the less accounting website, so, you know, all accounting software sucks. We just suck the least. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they just... They don't even play around. All that being said, QuickBooks is better now, the online version. But at the time, that was pretty, yeah, pretty funny. You know, they've got a long ways to go. I'm yeah. Sure. So in the uh, the kind of when we were talking uh, before the the call, um, you mentioned something that I think really resonates with a lot of founders, um, and that is the fear. And I'd love if if you just kind of give um, your overview of what happen to you um, when you realize that starting a business can be uh, frightening, but not as frightening as you might think? 
Wow, that's kind of a really open ended. I don't even know where to start. Okay, uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll start with kind of the simple thing, which is so many things everybody, you hear people talk about being scared of. Um, health insurance is always a really, really high one on the radar. Uh, you know, one big benefit, hopefully, with the Affordable Care Act here in the U.S., is that's not going to be as big of a deal anymore because people don't have to worry about whether they can get insurance. Admittedly, they still have to be able to afford insurance. But at least it's not impossible to get insurance. But there's just a whole slew of things like that where people want to start a business, but they're afraid of one thing or another. And in some cases, some of those fears are, are warranted. It makes sense. Uh, they're totally legitimate. In other cases, a lot of them are just way overblown. And, uh, you know, for me, one of them, when I first started Sifter in 2008, was payment processing and credit cards. Like, that was this big, scary thing. And, you know, now we've got Stripe and Braintree's World Advance and all that. But back then, I hadn't even heard of Braintree. All I knew of was your typical authorized.net and merchant account horror stories that I had heard over the years. And I was just dreading that. And I almost was like, I just want to make Sifter open source just so I don't have to deal with payment processing, which is, you know, in hindsight, is just such a crazy thing to think like I'm so scared of payment processing that I don't want to make money you know and now it's a lot easier thankfully and all of that stuff has just continued to get easier but at the time you know anybody can talk themselves out of starting a business and so much of that stuff I've found out just isn't even worth worrying about so give us an example of um, I don't know maybe one of the things that you kind of came to realize that, look, I was really worried about this, but honestly, it, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, so payment processing is one of those. That was one that, like, I can't even explain how worried I was about that, and it turned out to be nothing. Um, the other one, I never really worried about health insurance. I was always healthy and, and lucked out to where I didn't have problems with that, so that wasn't one that really worried me. Uh, which is usually kind of the biggest one. Uh, and, you know, honestly, like, I, I have a hard time even remembering at this point. Like, there's just all these little things. Now, there are things that I wasn't necessarily worried about that I know other people worry about that, uh, you know, like with my health and, you know, my recent ankle and foot and ankle problems, it pretty much was about as bad as it could get short of, you know, like uh, terminal disease or terminal illness or something like that. And everything just kind of worked out. And that's one thing that I think if I had had a regular job, I honestly would have had more to worry about than if I was running Sifter. So you had Sifter running and then um, you hurt your ankle and you were actually out where you would not have been able to go to kind of a day job? Yeah, totally. It would. I, I'm sure I would have for at least three or four months have probably ended up on a short-term disability, which generally is at best like 80% of your salary uh, sometimes not even that much. I don't know a whole lot about it because I never had to go through it. But from talking to people, it sounds like that's kind of how things would have unfolded at a normal job. Because essentially what happened was, you know, I've had terrible ankles forever. I decided to get ankle surgery to get them fixed so that I could continue playing basketball and staying healthy and stuff as I got older and my body started falling apart. Surgery went fine, but the recovery kind of got sideways and ended up with... Uh, frostbite and compartment syndrome and was basically stuck in bed for six months and it just I could concentrate enough 
you know, between painkillers and all the other things, just enough to handle support. But beyond that, like I wasn't doing any new development. There were a couple week, you know, two or three weeks at a time, maybe where I could piece together some coherence and get some real work done. But uh, I had eight surgeries in I don't remember, like six months or something like that. So what did that do to your finances? Uh, It didn't even affect finances at all because the way Sifter's, I mean, with SaaS and recurring revenue, Sifter just kept making money. You know, it maybe didn't grow as fast as it could have if I had been working on it full time. But uh, honestly, you could barely even tell a difference. If you look at our revenue or anything, you couldn't tell where I wasn't working or where I was working. If you look at my commit history and GitHub, then uh, it's really obvious where there's a you know huge holes in my work effort, but it really we didn't even skip a beat because of that. And like I said, with a real job, they would have had to have put me on short-term disability, especially if it was a smaller company. So, this episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think that there's this misconception that being employed by someone else equals security and Mm -hmm. going off and doing your own thing. And that's where the fear comes is that there's this risk of failure. Um, And that exists. And I know it took you, you know, you say Sifter continued to make money while you were, um, bedridden for a couple months recovering from the surgeries, but, and and it took you a few years to get there. Um, But even so, I think that there's just this false sense of security, um, which causes the fear to do anything other than stick with your day job. Yeah. And for me, that my very first job out of college, I got a great job, moved to Denver, lived there for a year. uh, And that was back in 2000. The bubble burst and I got laid off at the you know after a year at my first job. So I was just junior enough to basically not be attractive because I just didn't have enough experience. So you know it was hell finding another job. And so basically ever since then I was like you know I don't really trust these other companies. I trust myself a lot more than I trust them. And so yeah, I think that was just you know everybody's experience is different, but in my case it kind of 
forced me to not trust working for for other companies because they kind of just left me and you know here I was in a city where I didn't have family to pick me up or help me out and it was kind of rough there for a while yeah it's it's a strange uh, belief system people a lot of people tend to hate their jobs they hate their boss but they put the most trust their entire basically their entire life's worth of trust in those people that they don't really enjoy being around historically that's understandable because uh you know people you know generation two generations before us that wasn't entirely uncommon to work for one company for your entire life and to trust them that much and as you know the economy and the world has changed that's become less and less common so now our whole generation has been laid off you know, damn near everybody who's been laid off at one point or had a really hard time finding work or had to move back home with their parents or whatever it is. And so we're just a lot less trusting of employers, I think, than previous generations. So let's talk a little bit about um, when you were starting. Um, how, like, how long did it take for you to get to um, viability where you could, you were basically making the same as being employed? Oh, geez. Um, I don't remember the exact time. I want to say like two and a half, three years. Uh, I, I wouldn't say before. That was to full time. Mm-hmm. Until I was making what I was making when I quit my job. Uh, it's kind of a grayer area because there's a point where I could have paid myself that much but decided not to and just kept reinvesting the money in the business. So I didn't actually start getting paid what I was making the day that I quit my job until probably, I don't know, four years in, four and a half years in. I finally gave myself a raise. <laughs> but um, but you were able to pay your bills every month. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. That's That was one thing that I was always really cautious about. I you know, had a little bit of stupid credit card debt, uh, but you know nothing drastic. And luckily, I didn't have any student loans. So basically, I had just, I just spent a few months before quitting my job paying down my credit card debt. And I was like, you know what? I don't have credit card debt. I don't have any of this other stuff. I'm just going to go ahead and quit my job and start this. And it was just kind of the stars aligned and, you know, that was that. It is kind of amazing how when you start walking in a direction, um, things start to happen. Like you don't have to have everything planned out. Where's my first customer going to come from? Um, Like that doesn't need to be totally um, in cement before you leave. That is so true. Like with, with Sifter, I didn't even plan on creating an app. I just had always been weirdly obsessed with bug and issue tracking and just started mocking up some ideas with no real idea of what I was going to do with them. I kind of half-heartedly was like, oh, I'll probably create an app and open source it. It'll, you know, let me play with Rails and have fun. And then I created these mock-ups and I just started sharing them, you know, like I said, with really no plan. And people started emailing me and talking to me and they're like, hey, I like, I like this idea. You know, what are you doing with it? And I was like, I don't know. I'm probably going to open source something at some point. And uh, before I knew it, my now business partner and uh, and also Dan Benjamin, who I'd been talking to about it, were both like, you need to just create an app and turn this into a business. And for like the first couple of weeks, I told them, I was like, no, absolutely not. I don't want to deal with credit cards and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not ready for that. And finally, you know, they wore me down and convinced me to do it. And I was like, all right. So then I just started building it, you know, quit my job and started building. And then basically just kept on sharing, just kind of kept doing what I was doing. And then when we launched, 
that was I quit my job January 1st of 2008 and I launched December 4th of 2008 and that was splitting my time between consulting and working on the app and just kind of I don't know just kind of inching towards it every day if you had to look back at that whole process uh, getting into viability what would you say was the one thing that uh, was a distraction or that slowed you down the most that you wouldn't do if you were going through it again um it's hard to say like things are so different than in terms of what's available technology wise to lean on uh, you know that was five years ago at this point and so now things like stripe i wasted a whole lot of time building our own billing system uh just because what braintree offered at the time and braintree was pretty much the only game for a decent payment provider at the time uh they to let them handle like our plans and our billing and receipts and that kind of thing just would have been a really bad experience for our customers and so i built a whole lot of billing code which now it's kind of nice to have because it gives us complete control over all that stuff but in hindsight i'm sure i lost a month month and a half to that and wrote a lot of code that we probably could have launched and managed just fine without it so and not to mention keep in mind that was the one thing i was most scared of doing so it kind of it was weird how it turned out. But these days, I would totally use, you know, Braintree or Stripe and just push everything off to them and take full advantage of their hooks and their APIs and get all that code out of our app. Yeah. Um, so then looking back, you said that you were able to take this time off um, when you had the ankle injury. How were you able to, or I guess, what what stage do you think you were at when that became possible you know where the app stabilizes and it becomes functional enough to where people are going to continue to pay for it even though progress is slowing down a bit on your well, end so there's kind of two two answers to that one is you know as soon as you launch theoretically it's stable enough so st- stability is not really the problem um, it's the improvements that people especially you know given my target audience is software developers they're very sensitive to you know, when an app seems like it's dying and or not being updated or, you know, not being taken care of anymore. And that in its own way sends a lot of signals. But uh, in in this case, I feel like really once I was full time and once my salary was covered, we would have been fine. Uh, The worst case scenario is maybe churn goes up for six months and, you know, we flatline in terms of growth until I can get back to it, but really, there's just—I mean—it would have taken a complete, complete tragedy for things to go wrong. You know, I mean, it could have been a little bad, but it just—it's so incredibly unlikely that it would have been completely terrible. Yeah. And so, I mean, once you hit that full-time threshold, and you don't have to depend on anything else, I think that's kind of the point where you're—you know—I don't want to say safe, but in, a, in good shape for almost anything. So did that period of time change your whole mentality on the business, realizing oh. that you could step away? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it. prior to all that, I probably, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd work on a slow week, probably 60 hours. And, you know, I had a lot of fun doing it. But at the same time, it, I didn't want to spend that much time working. I don't think anybody does. And, you know, it's just not healthy. One of the 
you know, a lot of times people say, oh, well, if you love what you're doing, you're not really working. You know, and Amy Hoy, I think, is one of my favorite responses to that. She's like, I sure love donuts, but if that's all I ate, it wouldn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so you really don't want to – working more than 40 hours consistently just isn't a sustainable way to uh, – to go through life, especially for me, kind of, a, I've got a two and a half year old daughter now. So basically, ever since she was born, it was like, all right, I need to get my, you know, stuff together so I'm not working so much. And it's kind of been this constant battle, you know. And I'm working from home, so I see them a lot, but I still work way too many hours. And then after all this, I kind of realized, hey, you know what? I don't have to work that much. And so now I basically I work seven days a week still, but I'll only work like four to six hours a day usually. Um, occasionally, you know, there'll be a 10 hour day in there or whatever. And, uh, you know, whenever before, whenever I went out of town, I'd freak out. I'm like, Oh great. If I'm not working this week, that's going to suck. And so vacations were not all that relaxing. And now when I go out of town, I'm like, cool, I need this time off. Everything's going to be fine. It'll be there when I get back. Yeah. So that's something that I know I struggle with too. I feel being the only back end dev that everything's just going to stop when I walk away. Yeah. Um, but the more the more that I do this, and since launching, um, that's the big thing. Once you launch, it lifts a lot of that stress off you, and you realize that everything isn't going to crumble if you um, take the afternoon off and go play some basketball or do whatever else you do. Take a weekend or take yeah. every weekend. Well, it, and it's very difficult to get out of that mindset too, because the only emails you get from customers are about things that are wrong or missing, or at least wrong or missing in their eyes. And so, basically, you're constantly bombarded with uh, messages that what you've created isn't good enough or bombarded with problems with what you've created. Nobody's bombarding you with, you know, how much time it saved them or how much money it saved them or things like that. Occasionally, people will send those emails, you know, or put out something on Twitter. But for the most part, all of the emails you get are people who are pointing out shortcomings because they want it to get better. You know, they still care, but no, very few people take the time to tell you about something that's already right. Only things that they want to get better. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, actually, that writing the book that we're writing is one of the hardest things that we're doing because there's no feedback in it. When you write an article, <laughs> you get feedback that day of whether it was good or bad. And regardless, you're having a conversation with somebody. And when you put out a product, you get feedback. And, um, yeah, some of that's positive. Some of it's things that people want to change. But in the end, they want it to change because they like the product. Um, yeah. And when we're writing a book or doing the podcast, there's not that direct line of communication with anybody um, to where when we get someone that says that they listen to the podcast or that they really enjoy it, it's awesome because we never hear that. Well, And that's one of the things that I talk about in, uh, in my book, too, is just simply – the only people who take the time, even if they're complaining about a feature that's missing or a feature that's not working right, the only way somebody takes the time to shoot you an email is if they care and they're already happy, you know, to some degree. Maybe yeah. they're not 100% happy, but if they're not happy at all and they flat out don't care, they're not going to email. So if you're getting an email, in a way, that's its own implicit sign that you're doing something right because you're doing created something that people care enough to at least give you feedback on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Garrett, for coming on. Um, mm -hmm. I really appreciate the talk. Um, tell us where we can keep up with you um, and Sifter online. Uh, these days, oh, geez, I don't know. It kind of depends. Uh, Twitter's the easiest. 
probably everything kind of stems out from there uh, for whatever reason. And I'm just Garrett Diamond on there. Two R's, two T's, D-I-M-O-N. And uh, that kind of, you know, whether it's Sifter or other miscellaneous projects I'm working on, I put everything in there. And what's the site for your book? Uh, Startingandsustaining.com. Yeah, you expand on a lot of the stuff we talked about today in there. Yeah, yeah. And that book was written pre-ankle injury. I feel like these days I need to update it with all the wisdom gained uh, yeah. since going through all of this. But uh, maybe yeah, maybe we'll find time. Yeah, you know, with all the free time. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I figure, I figure that'll be something I might get to uh, early next year, depending on how things are going. But, you know, at this point, keep in mind, I basically constantly feel like I'm playing catch up for the last six months with Sifter by itself. So, you know, it's kind of kind of pick my battles. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them.